Please listen carefully. Hey folks, welcome to CrossFit Kana Radio. This is your host, Chris Plentis. This week we have Melissa Hemphill on the podcast. Uh, Melissa is a captain in the Air Force. Uh, she teaches biology at the Air Force Academy. Uh, she's a wife and mother of three, and I got to meet Melissa and get to know her at the coaches seminar for BirthFit. Uh, Melissa is also the uh, regional director in Colorado for BirthFit. And uh, today we talk about her journey through the Air Force, um, how she went there for athletics, um, how she had to basically give up her baby uh, when she got pregnant in the Air Force and then adopt her baby back. It's a wild story, uh, so one that you'll just have to listen to um, in the podcast. Uh, We talk about how she got involved with BirthFit. Um, and as a professor of biology uh, at the coaches seminar, she gave the nutrition talk. So we talk a bit about nutrition, but the biggest takeaway about that is the fact that nutrition is more than just about food um, and getting away from this idea of having good versus bad food. Um, and that is all related also to mindset, which has been a, a theme in the podcast with uh, Lindsay Matthews and Nas Switson. Uh, so you have to go back and listen to those as well because mindset comes up a lot with BirthFit. Um, and we uh, talk about self-care and um, this idea of needing to take care of yourself uh, in order to take care of others and that we need to lean on each other for help uh, and that we are not uh, a burden to others. So without further ado, enjoy this interview with Melissa Hempel. So why don't you introduce yourself? Give us a little bit of your background, who you are, what you do, and uh, you know how would you introduce yourself to someone at a party, let's say? <laughs> oh my gosh! All the parties um, that you go to. All the parties, yeah. I go to many parties. Right. With, uh, yeah, libraries of many leather-bound books are also <laughs> at those parties. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So I'm Melissa Hempel. Um, I'm the Bursa Regional Director in Colorado. Um, that's kind of my moonlight job on nights and weekends. Um, mm-hmm. During the day, I teach biology at the Air Force Academy, so I'm actually active duty military. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've got three beautiful children who keep us busy, right? When I'm not doing you, and you the guys Air just Force did a photo thing. shoot, right? I'm or sorry. At least you posted photos from a photo shoot. Look like. Yes, we just had beautiful family pictures done. Yeah. It was. We. I actually just ordered a photo album. Like I don't know if people do yes. that anymore, but. We needed to after <laughs> right. after how many awesome pictures turned out. Right. So. Yeah. So I I've done uh, wedding and family photography as a side really? gig before, and oh. um, you guys would be like the people that when people buy photo frames, like your family would be the one in the photo frames. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> yeah. So they were they were gorgeous. Really really nice pictures. Thank you. I have a photogenic family, so. It's yes, definitely yes, the do. talent of our photographer. She was amazing at capturing everyone's like little personalities. Yeah. Um, but my, my kids and my husband are pretty pretty cute. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. So you work at the Air Force Academy. Um, how did you end up there? At the Air Force Academy? 
Yeah. Where did you grow yeah. up? Um, so I grew up in Ohio. Yeah, this is yeah. A, this is actually a fun conversation. Um, so I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and my mom actually is from Pittsburgh. Because you're in Philly, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other so, side of the state. State of PA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a gymnast for nine years, and you know we met each other. I'm, I'm five nine, so I'm a little little tall for a the gymnast. A little taller. Yeah. Proud. Yep. <laughs> and uh, after, so it was. I ended it my I call it retirement. I retired my first my freshman year of high school because mm-hmm. um, I had been working out like twenty five hours a week right for ever right. since I was little and just it was very intense but it taught me a lot of discipline definitely a lot about fitness in terms of my own like strength and um, air awareness and just awareness about your body and space so. Um, the track coach at my high school said, hey, you would transition to pole vault really well. And so I started pole vaulting my sophomore year of high school. We actually didn't have any equipment. We had we had to borrow a pit from a neighboring school that was getting rid of theirs because they had an injury and they wanted to move it away. So we're like, well, well, we'll take your pit. It was the wrong, like we were a green school and it was a red pit, but we took it and we were grateful for it. Um, we bought like some of the first pole vault poles that we used and um, – like my family did. So they were really invested in, you know, my future. They were, I mean, I'm the oldest of eight kids. So like what they did for each of their children, you know, to support them and their futures was just amazing. Um, so anyway, pole vaulting was a really good transition because not only did I have, I was used to running down runways and I had more upper body strength than most girls my age. And, um, I quickly kind of was at like the state stage, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. like my first year and then on to that. So I actually started getting recruited right. my junior and senior year to pole vault for various places. And I just wanted to go away, for, you know, for college mm-hmm. as far as, so I had a bunch of Ohio schools that were recruiting me and we did some visits and, um, yeah, they were, they were in Ohio and I didn't want to go to Ohio <laughs> cool, <laughs> for college. So, um, when the air force Academy started recruiting me, I was like, well, I'm definitely not going to the military. I'd rather go to Ohio schools and join the military. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my dad would like fish the letters out of the trash bin and say, don't close any doors, use them as leverage. I know you don't want to go blah, blah, blah. And so the coach finally started like actually calling the house and oh. invited me out on a recruiting trip. And so, it's like, well, I'm just going because it's a free trip to Colorado. That's that's right. the only reason why I'm going. I've never been, and right. um, they're a bunch of warmongers anyway, right? Because I, I didn't really even know what to expect. Right. Um, but when I got there, my perception changed in like 24 hours. I I was surrounded by people who were really high achievers, and they had hearts of service, and they were just excelling in every aspect of life, like it, academically and as far as like the track team was concerned, they were really good. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is my tribe. This is my people. Like I, I totally see myself here. And so mm-hmm. I stopped fighting the application process, which is long and arduous. <laughs> and I actually started trying to get in. And, um, and so I did, I, I got in, um, the first year my husband was actually, so he graduated high school a year ahead of me. Um, but he went to the prep school um, he was recruited to play football, so okay. we actually met up our freshman year. We were in the same little squadron of, Got it. you know, okay. um, so actually it was the same group in our in our class. It was the same group of like twenty four people, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, that's that's actually where we met was our gotcha. freshman year at the Air Force Academy. We were not friends that year. Um, he was, you know. He's very stoic. He's got like kind of an intimidating front, and then and then you actually start talking to him, and you're like, "Whoa, you're actually really nice and kind." Like this is crazy. Like I had no idea that was behind this mask. It's hard exterior. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
we actually started hanging out and dating, you know, after, after we had spent some, you know, actual time together. But, uh, yeah. So, so you, and you were both athletes. So he played, we were both play, athletes. Yeah. Yep. And it was really cute. So we, we, and that was kind of the other way we started connecting more is because both of us wanted to support the other teams. Mm -hmm. So we actually started seeing each other at like basketball games and hockey games, like not our sport or not each other's sport. And it was like, Oh, Hey you, I remember you from freshman year. How are you? How are things? And that was kind of like, you know, the, the door that opened up this relationship. And so it was just a very slow, unexpected, yeah, unexpected relationship that has lasted a, a bit of time. So, um, let's see. So when I graduated, I was a biology major at the Air Force Academy and I was selected to go to grad school for my first assignment. And it's, it's basically an investment into the faculty. So, um, they sent me to get a master's so that I could come back and teach at some point in my oh. Air Force career, okay. so, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm paying back that education. Um, so in between grad school and then now I was, I spent three years as a cyber officer, which is like computers and IT, which is about as opposite from biology oh, and the right. natural world that you can get. Yeah. However, it's really cool because all of these domains and systems like are modeled off of the natural world. So right. for me as a biology major, having to study all of that through school, it actually set me up well to start learning all of this new cyber stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely not my passion, but I do enjoy it more than I thought I was going to. <laughs> so, so yeah, fast forward and now I'm, I'm here I'm teaching and it's, it's wonderful. It's really, it's really fun to, to be back with the cadets. They're just some of the most creative and kind and hardworking people. So that's they're awesome. great. <laughs> what was your intention when you started as a biology major? Were you thinking about like going to med school, which is a pretty common thought? And you know, what was your thought process? Yep. So I was actually on track for pediatric PT. Okay. So mm-hmm. I was doing all the PT school requirements, and I had my application like squared away, ready to go, all the shadowing hours I had, like it was packaged up very nicely, had everything. Um, but I think I shared my story with you guys at the seminar, how my husband and I, you know, had a baby while we were students. Mm -hmm. And by the time that I finally graduated a year late, we had been apart for two years and the air force will send, um, it's an army Baylor program. Mm -hmm. So we would go to San Antonio for PT school for three years and they were already stationed in Florida Um, so I ended up doing the the master's degree route because I could pick wherever I wanted to go. And I was like, well, I'll go to the school right next to Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. So, um, that's, that was kind of like what the decision was. It was to keep the family together because it had been a really rough two years being apart and doing single parent. And it's amazing how you get used to the idea of someone versus like the actual person. You start kind of filling the gaps mentally of, you know, things they would have said or done and you kind of put them on this pedestal and then you start living with them again. You're like, whoa, you're not the person I thought you were, right? Because I'm comparing you to this imaginary, you know, version of yourself in my mind. And, right. Um, right. Yeah. So that's always been, that's always been really interesting, especially like through our time in the Air Force, being a part a lot, you know, for various assignments or duties that will take someone away for a few months at a time. But it's that reintegration and, like, having to be okay with, you know, the humanity of people, right? Like, the <laughs> fact that we make mistakes and, you know, we do things because we're hurt or we're, you know, acting out of protection and defense. So, yeah. Yeah, and you had been um, very vulnerable in telling a lot of your personal stories 
uh, at the coaches seminar, which we definitely appreciated. Um, could you, because you, um, you know, people listening to this wouldn't have obviously been there. Right. No, sorry. Could you just quickly um, talk about what that experience was like, what you had to do, um, because you were both in the Air Force. Um, I think there was like a basically an adoption process, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of an antiquated rule, but cadets at the Air Force Academy are not, well, I guess at all service academies, it's not just us, but um, they, they can't have kids, um, so you can't have a dependent. You can't be married or have children. Mm-hmm. And so when we conceived our junior year, um, I was still pole vaulting. We like didn't, we kept it a secret from a lot of people because it was like, well, there's a chance that this won't work out, that it'll, it'll be a miscarriage because the rate of miscarriage is so high. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were healthy and <laughs> he was meant to be here and, and, it, and the pregnancy stuck. Yeah. And so, um, I ended up, I took a year off. We did, you don't technically have a dependent until the baby's born. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on kind of the timing, because track was indoor and outdoor, we're in the spring semester. Mm-hmm. I had done all of my PT tests and all of those other things that, um, keep you in good standing in the fall. So I was already, I was current. Like there was really nothing. I wasn't breaking any rules. I wasn't not meeting standards in any way. Right. I was just having to borrow my, my friend's, you know, pants because I was outgrowing mine. Um, so I, I took a year off starting at the end of my junior year, which I was, I left at about five and a half months pregnant. Mm-hmm. My husband stayed just, uh, like just as planned. Um, but when our baby was born in order to stay a cadet, he had to sever his parental ties to me in court. It was a relinquishment of parental rights is what it's called. And so I was the sole guardian and then he was free. He didn't have a dependent legally. So Mm -hmm. he finished school when he graduated. We did a second parent adoption 15 minutes later, same court hearing. I gave up my rights to him. I came back and finished my, my whole senior year. And then once I graduated, I adopted him back as well. And it's just an unbelievable, like emotionally draining and expensive process to do that. So, and, and people look at that story and they're like, Oh my gosh, like, how amazing, like you did all of this. And for us, it was like, this is just what we had to do. Like it didn't seem special, right? Like it was just, it was just, you know, hurt, like crossing the hurdles. Right. And, you know, from the start to finish line. So, um, it doesn't seem as, as impressive on our end. Right. It's just, well, we're just, this is what it looks like to take responsibility for your actions. It it wasn't special. It was just doing what needed to be done. Right. There was no choice. It was, there was a clear path and it wasn't what other, your other classmates were doing, but that's fine because you did what you had to do. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that being said, like, you know, there, there seemed to be a choice in the beginning and this is something so, that we didn't really talk about, but I think is, is a really important part of this conversation is, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I, when I found like, when I peed on the stick and I found out I was pregnant, I just started sobbing. Right. Cause this was, I was ready to go back to nationals for pole vault. I was, you know, I had all of these plans and this was not the right time to have a baby. And so all I could think about, you know, in the beginning was how do I, how do I make this pregnancy go away? And Mm -hmm. for someone who was raised in a very like Orthodox Catholic, large pro-life family, um, I was really ashamed that I was having those thoughts. And honestly, my husband, Anthony was really pivotal in that. And um, you know, when I, when I finally like came back, you know, from the store, cause that's when I repeat on the stick, which was probably not the best idea ever, but 
I drove back and he met me in the parking lot and he just held me and he's like, it's, it's going to be okay. You know, well, we're going to keep this baby. It's going to be okay. And, you know, all I could think of was, you know, well, I, I want your babies, but not right now. Like this could not have been like, the, it couldn't have been a more worse time, especially because the academy already seems a little bit like a junior high school in some ways. Like there, everyone knows everyone. You, mm-hmm. you work and live in the same place. Um, it's just, you know, I, I wasn't a girl that slept around. I didn't, I, so when people heard the rumor that I was pregnant, they were like, no, not her. Right. right? Yeah. And people actually stopped like looking at me in the face, like in the eyes, they, they would walk by and just stare at my stomach just to see if they could see if the rumor was true. Right. And it was just, it was a really lonely time. <clears throat> um, also what was kind of interesting is, you know, that, that time in your life tends to be everyone's seeing like who could potentially be their mate for life. Right. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's doing weird sexual selection things. Um, and, uh, when you're pregnant, right. Like it kind of, you, you, you're taken off the table. And so you actually see who your real friends are, not people who are hanging out just to, you know, because there's a possibility that you might be able to work out with them. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So not only was it, you know, like very isolating, just from an emotional standpoint, because no one else was walking around pregnant. Right. Um, right. It was, it was isolating from like, like a friendship standpoint. Like I, I felt like, you know, my true friends were the ones who stuck around and were really supportive and happy. And, um, the rest just kind of just fell away. Well, I mean, think, you know, whether you use the phrase things happen for a reason or whatnot, you know, they kind of fall as they do. And, who knows what would happen later and you would have found out who your real friends were from whatever happened later. And true. Yeah. Um, but you made, you made the best out of it. And now you have three little ones. We do have three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're so fun. Super cute. How did you get involved with birth fit? So this was, so back in the day we talked about the purple logo. That was like kind of the, the old beginning. logo. Yeah. Yeah, did you ever see that thing? Yeah. With like a heart on the eye and I mean just it wasn't unprofessional, but like it's it's very different now. <laughs> well just, I think Lindsay said the, she just like drew or came up with the original one, right? Yeah. 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 So. Um it was cute. Um I think she like hand wrote birth and then fit was yeah. kind of like its own word. Right. Um right. good stuff. Anyway, that kind of marked the time of, you know, just just this thing, right? Like it wasn't meant you know, it didn't start out being a what it is now or with the intention for it to be what it is now, but it just kind of filled a need that we had. Um, so I actually had found BirthFit. This is back when I was actually on Twitter. Now I just, you know, link my Instagram to Twitter and call it a day. Um, (laughs) but so I had accidentally like used the hashtag to, to kind of find them. And Mm then, um, Lindsay found me through the hashtag to, and asked me to write my birth story. This was after I had my daughter, my number two. And, um, it just ended up being very much aligned with, you know, the practices and the mission that BirthFit had. And so when she decided that she wanted to start expanding and making it bigger, like bring it more into the local community versus just having it in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, I was part of that first group. And I remember emailing her back, like, um, I'm really flattered, but I'm not a doctor like every single one of you are. So I'm not sure why you're picking me to be on this, like this group, but thank you. But like, take a second thought just real fast. (laughs) And, um, she's, she's got an amazing intuition. Um, and so 
yeah, she just, she was like, no, 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 I, I want you. And mm-hmm. so I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to show up as best I can and bring, you know, this biology information and bring this eating psychology information and, you know, the athletic background and just yeah. everything that I can to, to help, you know, with this mission, because we, it's, it's beautiful, you know, having a holistic approach to the motherhood transition, you know, where it's actually mother focused, you know, it's important to be focused on baby too, but I think sometimes we do that to the, to the neglect of the mother mm-hmm. and mom's health, you know, is so indicative of, of how, you know, baby's future and her future, you know, with, in terms of her mental health and her fertility and just everything. So motherhood's big. It's kind of yeah. a big, big deal. Yeah, it kind is. Of <laughs> And fatherhood uh, is too, right? Like that's something that we also yeah. kind of dismiss the dads, but um, I'm doing a prenatal series right now. We just, we met last night for day two and the dads are just awesome. They're just amazing. And I, I can just imagine you as a father in that process and, you know, your support and love and, and all are, of that. Are all the fathers involved in with that group or is it uh, like a couple of the dads are, are coming to the series? Uh, yeah. So the prenatal series is for couples. Right. And so, yep. So they're, they're all showing they're up all in it. and they're it. participating cool. and they're, we have a lot of activities that are like for the couple to do and yeah. for them to have conversations and, and practice these little two minute drills where they can, you know, role play labor. Like, what does that look like? And for some of them, it was interesting. They're like, wow, that was, that was two minutes and labor could be what, 16 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's cool to kind of, you know, just have an opportunity and space to practice and just see, see how it is. Like let both of you just try it on. And yeah, it's very cool. So, uh, because, uh, because you had done the nutrition lecture at the coaches Mm -hmm. seminar, I thought we could talk about that a little more because I know, um, CrossFitters and people in general just have so many questions about nutrition anyway, uh, Mm -hmm. let alone when they're pregnant. So, I was wondering what the biggest takeaways or the biggest kind of, um, I don't want to say tenants, but the biggest messages about or surrounding nutrition you would want to get across to women who, you know, let's say it's a blank slate. They don't know anything and you want to get across the most important things to them. Um, so it could be as, as nitty gritty detail as you want, or it could be, you know, higher level messages, but what would you want yeah. them to know? So I guess the number one would be that the conversation around nutrition is so much bigger than what to eat. And I think that's what everyone wants to focus on. It's just mm-hmm. tell me what to eat. Tell me my macros. Tell me the timing. Tell me, you know, the types of foods, which causes inflammation, which don't. You know, it's like tell me what I should do. Like write me a plan. That's that's really like if you talk to any dietitian, someone who does this for a living, right. they people just come in wanting meal plans all the time. Mm-hmm. Um so with BirthFit, we just recommend like the what to eat is real food, like eat real food. So eat fruits, eat meat, eat, you know, healthy fats and fish, um, fruits and vegetables, right? Eggs, like nutrient density, colorful, natural foods. And, you know, we, we can definitely have like a nitty gritty conversation around that. But the other half of the the conversation around nutrition, which most people don't talk about, is the who you are as an eater. And this is the part where your autonomic ner- nervous system, right, your ANS, regulates metabolism. Um, so there, 
it's so we talked a little bit about polyvagal theory at the coaches seminar, right. which most time when we when we talk about the autonomic nervous system, we're thinking of like the two closets. We think of parasympathetic, which is your rest and digest, and we think of sympathetic, which is your stress response. And in the stress response, that is metabolic shutdown. You get, um, I think it's four times less blood flow to the gut, ten times. Uh, 10,000 times decrease in enzyme output in the gut. You get die-off of healthy gut bacteria, mitochondrial impairment. Um, you just It's, it's met, metabolic shutdown, right? That's what that is because in a stress response, it's not your job to digest and assimilate nutrients so that you can grow and you know repair. That's you're, you're in a fight for your life, and that is not the priority. So um, with the parasympathetic side, this is, you know, the nickname rest and digest and you know leading to this idea that it supports metabolism the problem um especially with i would say this crossfit community or people who are very much invested in how their body performs how their body looks you know you you live like training is inherently stressful right it's you are adapting to a stimulus to become anti-fragile like that's that's the whole point yeah so there's just this constant Yeah, for sure. And there's just this constant, um, like a, a, a low, like a bit of stress, like present in your life. And that's just from what you're intentionally doing in the gym. Um, let alone all of the other stresses that happen with family, with work, with whatever. So as humans, um, we were designed to spend most of our time in a parasympathetic response. This is actually from the polyvagal theory. This is kind of the evolutionary look at it. So you have, you know, at the most primitive level, the immobilization response to stress, right? Like I can't do anything about it. So I'm going to do nothing and feign death. And that's going to help me survive. That is like, this is kind of the, the, the type of regulation that, um, children with autism, people who are dysregulated tend to like live in is stress and then immobilization, right? Which, um, so that next step up is like, I'm stressed and I can do something about it, which is your fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So these are all different segments of the vagus nerve, which is, you know, touted as, you know, the parasympathetic response nerve. Um, so it also innervates above and below the diaphragm as well, which we'll talk about how the diaphragm is really important in that. Um, and then finally, like in part due to collective safety, right, that we have in communities, like, we're not all fighting for our lives at every point in the day, especially here in America. There's definitely some, like, third world countries or countries in distress that people are no kidding in stress responses constantly, like, because that's their environment. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't necessarily have that here, especially if you're going to work and then choosing to go to the gym and, you know, have all these extracurricular activities. Um, There's almost no, like, legitimate reason to be in so much stress that we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, right. but we are, we're, we are a stressed out group of people and, um, it's not just the intentional stresses that we, we are trying to adapt to, but it's the unintentional, right? Like worrying about what someone's saying or, you know, anxiety about the future or depression about the past or fears about this and that. I mean, it's, it's constant. Um, so, what we want is that that highest activation, the most optimal regulation of the autonomic, autonomic nervous system, which is the myelinated part of the vagus. This is the part that, like, if you look at, like, a structure and function, so myelin sheaths are the fat cells, like, the fatty molecules that are around the neurons that in, enhance the efficiency of, of sending, you know, electrical impulses. And so 
from like a function standpoint, it's the most efficient pathway. It's the one that we are designed to be in more, most of the time. And we, you know, we're, we're not, <laughs> we spend most of our time in a stress response. So when it comes to, you know, your thoughts and feelings around food and body, that impacts your metabolism when you come to the table. So if I'm trying to lose weight and I think that the food in front of me is going to make me fat and food is my enemy, right? I'm in a stress response. That is anti-metabolism. It's actually, especially for weight loss people, it's, it ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? right. Like, so right. now you're breaking down more muscle. You are storing more fat. Um, you are not getting the nutrients that you need from the food that you're eating. And so what your body will do is upregulate appetite because hey, the more that you eat, the more likely it is that we'll get the nutrients that we need, mm-hmm. right? So instead of being open and receptive from like a digestive standpoint to all the nutrients that you are giving your body, right. um, it's basically like shutting the pipe down and saying we're just going to go straight through, right? We're not going to absorb all the things. So you end up like eating more, storing more fat, um, like feeling lower energy, right? Because now you can start getting into all the hormonal pathways, not just the nervous system pathways, but it's an important conversation. Like who are you showing up as to the table? Like what are your goals and um, what sort of choices get you closer to your goals? Uh, Which kind of leads into another part of that conversation, which I guess would be another um, takeaway that I I would love to share with someone who, you know, is by that blank slate, but this idea of moralizing food, right? It's, It's easier for us to say that this food is good and this food is bad and I will eat the good foods and be a good person and eat the bad foods and, you know, then I'll be the rebel and the diet starts on Monday. Um, that's a, it's an easier thing. That's what most people do because we have a lot of information coming at us all the time, right? It's more simple to just put it in a label it and put it in a box and now it's, it's dealt with, right? And we can almost use, cause no one wants to be a bad person. So we use that as kind of a stick as an accountability saying, I'll just eat the good foods, um, and avoid the bad foods. And by virtue, you know, my moral character will be good as well, which we know is kind of crazy when you say it out loud. Right. Um, so what I recommend is changing the language from good and bad to effective and ineffective. And this is hard because now you have to be responsible for what that means for you, right? Like depending on where you are and where you want to go, you know, and, and what that pathway looks like to get there, it's going to be different for you. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what your food and body goals are, but, um, for me, it's, you know, to just increase overall fitness, Right? Like I'm not right. trying to get show ready for, you know, like a, I don't know, or like, like a the bikini show. or yeah. a fitness show. Yeah. yeah like mm-hmm. that's, that's not my goal. So right. I'm not trying to cut a bunch of fat. Right. Um, I would like to keep my fertility. I would like to keep my cycle regular. Like that's, that's important to me. So right. just kind of like general overall fitness, um, for someone else who is maybe trying to get show ready or someone who's trying to put on a ton of lean mass for like a strongman or Olympic lifting or powerlifting. Um, versus someone who's just trying to lose weight versus someone who's, you know, like the goals can be infinite and mm-hmm. there's no amount of good and bad that we can do to or, like, there, there's no one answer to whatever that is. So not only do you have to be clear on what you want, where you want to go, but you have to start getting curious about what is working for you and what's not working for you. And this is the other part because we have such a, an interesting relationship with failure Right. Like right. when something doesn't work, we would rather like shame ourselves into not having it happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, when reality is that the people who have succeeded have failed more times than someone else has tried. Right. Like they have already figured out all the ways not to get there. 
which has led them to what success looks like. So to be able to, you know, uh, you know, walk away from a meal saying, wow, I feel really vibrant and energized and like satiated. Like that was a really effective meal for where I want to go. Um, versus, you know, like having partaking in a binge or a big celebration and you're like, wow, I, I ate way too much or I ate way too much sugar that I don't normally eat. And now I'm kind of, you know, in a fog instead of seeing it as failure, just see it as feedback, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, okay, interesting. Now I know that when I eat four pieces of cake at one time, this is how I feel. And right. it's just data, right? It's just data for you to collect to then inform your next choice. Um, we, it, it's, it's easier to relinquish responsibility, you know, to right. be honest with you, to say that it's something else or I don't have the willpower and it's really not a question of willpower. Willpower is such a distraction. But mm-hmm. um, it's just like, do you love yourself enough to choose your highest self? Do you love yourself enough to choose your desired outcome, your your end goal? Um, and that's that's kind of where I see a lot of my work happen with women who want to talk. It's like it's not that they don't know what to eat, right? Because they most of them. Have, especially in our community, have played a lot with different diets and um, different foods. They know what feels good for them, what ne- doesn't necessarily. Um, but it's how do you choose yourself um, in that? So that's where we can have a whole conversation about self-care and um, not seeing like self-love as a selfish act, right? But really an investment in the people around you. Because when you are filled up and you are operating on all cylinders – you can better be that person for others that you want to be. Right. So I used to, you know, think that like sacrifice to self was the way, but all it did was just leave me angry and bitter and impatient. And, um, once I started actually like caring about what I was doing, right. Or, you know, who I was showing up as and what, like being responsible for filling my own tank, um, that, that made a huge difference. How did you figure out that you needed to do that? Because <clears throat> uh, this theme has come up with both um, Lindsay and Nast just oh, nice. uh, organically. And, you know, I find women pregnant or not, kids or not, are very hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, call it a, a, a motherly tendency or like a, I don't know what that is, but like a caretaking, take care of everyone else, but you know, they don't mm-hmm. take care of themselves and, um, plenty, you know, plenty of guys do it too, but I, I definitely notice it a lot with women and especially mothers. Um, yes. so how did you, what was your journey and, or, um, your revelation that you needed to, you know, take care of yourself? So it was kind of, it was out of necessity. So my husband was in um, a special forces training pipeline for a year and a half. And right before he left, I, so he was leaving me with a full-time job and two children, one of whom was a newborn. And um, I was, I just, I needed, I like, I knew that I needed support, right? Like he was going to be gone for so much of like the next two years. And, um, so I, I started seeing a, a life coach and just, just like have like started having these conversations. Like, what does it look like to, like, be able to do all of these things with him gone, right? And not having any of that support when it's when it's all me. I knew that I needed to. I didn't have the resources that I needed, um, to be successful, right? Without 
of having a constrained marriage or in parenting or I just, I wanted to set us up for success. And so it was kind of out of necessity and it was one of the best decisions I have ever made. One of the best investments. Um, I had a fantastic life coach who, um, really made space and we had a lot of, um, tragic things happen towards the end of that training and he was gone for it. And so I had, I had someone to talk to, right? Like that was, so was huge. So we had a miscarriage and then my brother passed away and it was a lot to deal with, you know, by yourself. Um, although I won't, I won't say that he was completely out of touch, but I couldn't just call him up, right. And have a good cry and talk to him about whatever I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So that, that, that's a really important, um, just something I was thinking about. I think it's really important for, for someone who supports other people, you need to be supported by someone else, right? Like it's, it's a shared thing. I think we, we want to be all things for all people and we don't need help to do it, but when you have someone who's there to catch these things in your blind spot, right. To like help you cast some light on things that you didn't see before. So important, right. Having that person who's not emotionally invested in every aspect of your life to just sit and have like to bounce ideas off of, or to have a conversation or catch you when you're in a story, when that story is really destructive. Um, it's so important. I think, I think it might be like a pride and ego thing, right? We want to be able to show everyone that we're superwoman or superman and we can, we can do it ourselves. Um, I'm self-sufficient. I'm independent. I can, you know, I don't need anyone to, I don't need to lean on anyone, but really I think there's a lot of, um, room for vulnerability and, and a, a level of love and intimacy when you do have that vulnerability based trust with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, when you can like set the ego aside and say, Hey, um, I'm the same as you and I need support. So do you also feel like, and this is both generic and specific to your situation while, um, Anthony was away at training, but do you feel also feel like part of it is you don't want to burden other people? Right. And, yeah. Specific to you, you knew that he was going through this rigorous training. He, I'm guessing he wasn't getting a lot of sleep. Um, you know, communication itself obviously was limited too. Um, but when the miscarriage happened, and um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, the idea of like, well, he's away, this happened, let's let him just focus on what he needs to focus on and not burden him with this that he can't do anything about. Um, yeah, for sure. Right. I, I, yeah. I feel like a lot of people are very considerate, like almost right. to the point that we, we start making decisions for the people around us. Right? right. We don't give them an opportunity to, to step up and support when that's probably like, honestly, most people want to, like right. they, they just want you to tell them, how do I support you and have an answer and have it like actually help. Right. Um, versus saying, no, 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 like, I'm not going to burden you with this. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I find that I make decisions for a lot of people around me. And mm-hmm. um, it's uncomfortable to, like, ask because you almost feel like you're you're not, you don't got your shit together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's that that's a very good point. But, yeah. it, but I could, I would put money on it if you were in his situation. You would totally want to know to oh, yeah. support. Oh, yeah, yep even on an emotional or, or just a, 
hey, I'm thinking about you or whatever. I mean, obviously more than that when you're you know, a couple, but like, of course you would want to know what's going on in someone's life um, and that it wouldn't be a burden if you were on the receiving end of that news. Um, mm -hmm. But it's so funny how so many of us hold back from putting that, what we think is a burden on other people, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so nutrition is obviously way more than just what we're eating. Um, with my, and, um, you know, with the four pillars, mindset seems to be the kind of overarching, um, oh, actually let's go back to the diaphragm real quick. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I wanted to touch on that. Um, because I think so many of the things that we've, or at least especially the functional progressions that we go through, um, are related to that. So you can, mm -hmm. can you just talk about, um, the diaphragm and, and how that plays into it? Yeah, that might be my new favorite muscle. Um, <laughs> so, and also, this will be good, too, because this will be kind of an action step, like a strategy on how you get yourself into a more rest and digest state. Yeah. Okay. So this is really important. Um, the diaphragm actually begins development at six weeks in utero. That's, that's like real early, yeah. <laughs> like real, real early, right. right? Like most people don't even know they're pregnant at that point in time. Right. Um, you know, that's about the time that women will start finding out. So... So not only is it from a developmental standpoint, like it's, we see its appearance so early because it is so important. And when babies are born, what they're doing from like months zero to three, like from like a developmental milestone standpoint is they're just gaining full range of motion of their diaphragm and they're starting to pressurize to create stability through an eccentric activation of their entire core canister, which is... You know, we like to talk about the core as rectus or obliques or transversus, but it's really, you know, from the neck all the way down to the pelvic floor. Like, it's the whole system. Right. And, um, yep, so with the diaphragm, um, so we talk about, you know, the vagus nerve and how it innervates above and below the diaphragm because now it, it's a bidirectional pathway for communication. So it's like brain down, you can increase your rate of breath, right, in a stress response. Mm -hmm. um, and then also when you slow down and focus on your breath and you focus on moving your diaphragm through a full range of motion, it sends the communication back up to the brain that, you know, we don't have to breathe fast. This is a slow response. This is a, this is a restorative state that we're in. Yeah. Um, so your breath is actually your key to unlocking you know, metabolic fire, essentially. Um, and it's also very interesting, right, that, you know, your whole solar plexus, if you, you want to talk about chakras, like that whole third chakra where metabolism exists, right? Like that's the diaphragm and, and the gut. That's that's right where that is. Um, yeah, very interesting stuff. But um, most people, we, we have trained um, dysfunction or inhibition in the diaphragm like for a number of different reasons. I think in part it starts with how early kids are put in chairs at school, right? At kindergarten, kindergartners are not thinking about their posture. Yeah. They're not thinking about neutral spine so that their diaphragm has room to, to fully go through the range of motion. Um, we also are obsessed with aesthetics, right? So I, as a gymnast, I always like held my rectus up, which inhibited diaphragm mm -hmm. because you wanted to look thinner. Right. Um, and then also just like in training, we like to take muscles out of isolation or out of the system and into isolation for typically aesthetic purposes. Right. So we're going to knock out a ton of GHG sit-ups, toe to bar, um, add mat sit-ups because everyone wants a six pack and that's 
our obsession with core. That's actually it's really funny because in birth fit, everyone, not everyone, a lot of people ask us, how do I train my core during pregnancy? And uh, it's like, well, every day is core day if you are <laughs> pop- properly like engaging your core canister to move because functional movement is translated from core to extremity. So um, every day is core day, you know, and it might be things that like what they, what they're actually asking is how do I do abdominal flexion during pregnancy when my, my belly is growing? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's not only dysfunctional in general, but not appropriate in training for birth. And and just to be clear, abdominal flexion, meaning sit-ups, Total bar, knee to elbow. Um, exactly. GHD yep. sit-ups. Yeah, anything right. like so sagittal plane flexion right. in the abdomen for sure. Yeah, okay. Oh, man, I think I froze on you. It's a yeah. great face. audio <laughs> Audio uh, so. Um, okay, so I know we only got a couple minutes left. Um, what is on your bucket list? Oh man. I actually haven't been asked that question before. I've thought about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to travel. I've only ever been to Canada. That's like how far I've been outside the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to go to like New Zealand and Iceland and Europe and South America. Like that would just be, that'd be sweet. If you South Africa too. If you had two weeks fully funded to go anywhere uh, tomorrow, where would you go? Oh. Family obviously goes yeah. along too. Unless yeah, you don't, oh, unless you want, you want the kids too? there. I don't know. Maybe you want the kids somewhere else. But Yeah. Okay. So maybe maybe New Zealand, maybe Ireland. Okay. I really want to go to like like a real pub in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's always seemed like really cool to me. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, any other things you want to um, tell the mamas or dads out there or soon to be mamas? Um, I would just say be open and stay curious. It's amazing what can happen when you're just open to what could, what could happen. Um, we like to predict the future because that makes us feel more safe and certain. Um, but there's a lot of really interesting things that can happen when you're just open to a new possibility. Um, so this is something I've been actually like actively working on. So um, when I feel myself shutting down, typically because you know Anthony has said something that hurts my feelings, and I want to shut down and then not talk to him for the rest of the day. Like that's, that's my instinct to do that. I've been trying to just breathe and stay open and like, see what happens. And you know, it doesn't ruin a weekend anymore. All of a sudden, like we actually have like a really great weekend. Um, just because I didn't let myself be overtaken by the desire to just shut down. Um, and I think that that happens with a lot of other things too. So especially in like pregnancy and postpartum, the motherhood transition is going to ask you to grow in ways that you were not expecting. And if you are open to those ways and you're in the practice of asking, how is this for me? How, like, what am, how am I being called to grow in this situation? Um, I think you can, you're going to be surprised. You know, you, you can't even fathom the amount of growth that is waiting for you with that attitude, with that mindset. Um, so yeah, just stay open, stay curious. I love it. 
that's a great message for pretty much anybody, right? <laughs> hey, uh, so I know you got to go, but I uh, want to thank you for your time. Um, and I have so many other topics that I'm jotting down that I would want to discuss with you later, not even related to birth fit, like relationships and staying open and man, so much stuff. But, um, we can I'd be happy to come back. This was really fun. Thanks, Chris. Awesome. Um, so, Hey, have a great day. Have a great Thanksgiving. And, um, I will be sure to tag you up when I post this up, which will probably be next week. Sounds good. We'll give that little baby boy a hug for me. We'll do. (laughs) All right. Have a great day and happy Thanksgiving. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey folks, thanks again for listening to Cross Econa Radio. If you like what you heard, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and leave us a review, which helps us get found on the interwebs. Also, head over to social media, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Cross Econa, K-A-N-N-A. And if you have any questions for the podcast, email us at info at Thanks and have a great day.